What's up, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 20th episode of the Racial Diversity Gaming Hour. We've been doing this for 20 weeks. I can hardly believe it. Um, uh, 20 weeks strong. We are here once again. It's been an exciting week in gaming, uh, a very exciting week in gaming. And before I introduce to you the most racially diverse cast on the internet uh, today, First, I would like to talk about next week's Racial Diversity Gaming Hour, because next week's Racial Diversity Gaming Hour is going to be special. It's not going to be your typical um, RDGH where we just talk about uh, news and gaming, simply because there's so much news and gaming next week. Next week is E3, and uh, we usually record this on Sunday, but E3 is on Monday, so we are going to do things a little different. We're actually going to have a, a, a recap. We're going to talk about what happened at E3 um, for the Microsoft, Nintendo, and Sony press conferences. So you don't want to miss it. We're, we're going to weigh in with our opinions, and we invite you all to do the same on Twitter. We have a different Twitter account. Um, same, same account, actually, different name. It's at the RDGH, at T-H-E-R-D-G-H. Um, we kind of figured, well, you know, we, we talk about... Um, all sorts of gaming on RDGH, and even though we're all from PlayStation Universe, it doesn't make sense to be about all sorts of gaming and then have PlayStation Universe on our name. So uh, we're at the RDGH, which I think is catchier. Uh, so definitely send us your opinions, watch E3, and tell us what you think, and we will talk about it on the next episode of RDGH. But with all of that said, of course, with me, I have the most racially diverse gaming cast on the internet today with me, and we begin with Gary, uh, excuse me, your KGB Gary. Ooh, excuse me, I almost made, I almost made a mistake there uh, against the KGB. Um, Gary Bagdasarov, how are you, Gary? I'm pretty good. <laughs> how are you, Glenn? I am pretty good. I'm a little tired, actually. I've been, I've been busy today. Um, but... Things have been going pretty well, just keeping up with gaming news, uh, doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, what have you, have you been um, playing anything new lately? Um, I have, actually. Uh, I've played, uh, I played a lot of Mario Kart. Mario Kart, yes. Everyone's been playing Mario Kart. <laughs> Everyone's been and playing Mario Kart. I'm also playing a game right now that I don't know if I can talk about, but Ooh. it is out, so... I'm playing. Well, if it's out, you should be able to. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm playing Murdered Soul Suspect as well. Oh, okay. So stay tuned for my review on that. All right. Uh, good things to come. Um, also, we have, and you just heard, Mr. Ben Sterling himself. Um, <laughs> ben Sterling, how are you? Hello. Ah, uh, I'm knackered. For some reason, my back is killing me today. Uh, I don't know why. I can't even look up without a lot of pain. So. It's been an interesting day today. Oh, that sucks, man. Have yeah. you been Have you been working out or? or... No, nope, I've got no idea. It's just decided to. Yep, today will just just cause a bit of pain on you for some reason. Man, you deserve it. It's a free gift. <laughs> free pain for everyone. <laughs> Yay! Yay! <laughs> and of course, with us uh, we have our favorite shapeshifter, uh, Fraser Miller. How are you, Fraser? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much. Good. How are good, you guys? I hope you're all awesome. What's awesome? I hope you're all awesome. Oh yes, I'm. I'm all awesome. Um, have you been playing anything new this week, Fraser? Uh, Wolfenstein and Watchdogs. Wolfenstein and Watchdogs. I've also been playing. I've also been playing a little indie title, Among the Sleep. Among the Sleep. Yep. 
I haven't heard about that one before. Uh, uh, what is it? What is it about? It's uh, well down to the bottom line. It's a horror type thing, but you play as a little oh. two-year-old boy. You see everything through a two-year-old's eyes, and you have a freaky teddy coming along with you in your journey, and, and things are to basically kill you. <laughs> oh, okay. It's on PS4 too, huh? I, th- I think it is. I'm not quite sure. I think they announced it for PS4 as well. But if you can get a chance to play it, I highly recommend it. That's cool. Um, I'm not a I'm not a big horror person, so I'm not either. I I grew up on horror movies and everything, but when it comes to games, I'm like ah no. No. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, because I guess games. The I think you were telling me the other day the involvement with games is just a little different, right? Yeah, it's because you're you're being like that person being hunted rather than just watching other people be cut to bits. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, well, as I said, it's been a very exciting week in the realm of gaming. Um, since the last podcast, the biggest hyped game in a long, long time finally launched on May 27th after a... Uh, a lot of hype and, and fan favor uh, back at E3 2012. A very disappointing delay just last year. Watch Dogs from Ubisoft has finally released on all consoles except for the Wii U, um, which should be coming later. It's been getting decent scores. Some people are really happy with it. Some people are a little less so. Uh, I know I've been very vocal about it. Um, but... Uh, one of the things I've been saying about it is I kind of wish, because Ubisoft has been talking about how Watch Dogs has been breaking all sorts of new records for them. Um, it's, it's the best sold Ubisoft game, most pre-ordered Ubisoft game, etc., etc. Um, so it's, I've, I've just been saying, you know, I wish we knew how it's stacked up against gaming in general. Like we hear all of this stuff from the perspective of Ubisoft. It's Ubisoft's best pre-ordered title, and it's Ubisoft's best this. Um, well, just today we got a press release from Ubisoft saying that it is not only the most successful launch title ever for Ubisoft, but it also has now broken a new industry sales record for the launch of a new IP. Um, meaning across the industry, this is the best selling new IP in gaming, um, Watch Dogs. So, um, you guys have been playing Watch Dogs, I think, um, right? All of you have been playing Watch Dogs? On yep. and off. Well, I have. On and off. Gary? I have, yes. Yeah. So, let me ask you this. Does Watch Dogs deserve all of this fanfare as a new uh, leading title? You're asking me or Fraser? I'm asking anyone. What do you think? I'll go second. You'll go second. Okay, <laughs> Gary, you go first. Um, I think it does deserve it, the, the fan f- flavor, as you called it. Um, I think it's a great new franchise, I, but I think its sequel will be what everybody wanted it to be in the first place, is oh. what I'll say. That's, that's interesting, because usually the sequel's not as good as the first edition um, to, to to me, the way I see Watch Dogs right now is how, what happened with Assassin's Creed. It it had so much hype when it was first announced, the very first Assassin's Creed, and when it came out, it just didn't deliver on what everybody thought it was going to be. But then Assassin's Creed 2 came out, and then it was everything that everybody wanted it to be. <laughs> 
it was what the first one should have been hyped to be. Right. So when Watch Dogs 2 comes out probably next year, <laughs> it'll be what everybody probably wanted this first one to be. Now, Ubisoft really nailed the marketing with Watch Dogs. There was a lot of excitement for this game. Um, but the problem when there's so much excitement for something is you have a, you've, you've set yourself a very, very, very high bar, um, which is difficult for a new IP. But um, so, so now we have a lot of people playing Watch Dogs, and I see a lot of reports on the Internet that are like, oh, you know, it's not, it's not everything I was hoping it would be. Um, Ben, excuse me, no, Fraser, you said you'd go second. So, Fraser, how are you feeling about Watch Dogs? I really, really like it. Um, it's got, it's, I, I kind of agree with the whole fact it's not everything I may want it to be, but it comes really, really close. It just, um, I feel that it's kind of, I, I mean, it, you can tell there's like Assassin's Creed's there at its core. It just feels like the whole thing, but it's, because a lot of people would say it's like the modern day Assassin's Creed sort of thing. Yeah. But I think it I, like it deserved its hype and it was kind of like the first big multi-platform title for next gen even though it shouldn't have been in last gen. I feel like that kind of may have held it back. I don't know if anyone agrees with me on that. I don't think it should have been on 360. Oh, I agree. It should have been exclusive to next gen. I totally agree with you on that one. It should have been just next gen. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you feel, Ben? Uh, well, uh, to be honest, I feel the same as everyone else. I think that the next, whenever we see another, what? Well, we'll see it next year. When we say when, whenever we'll see it next year. <laughs> whenever, whenever next year, probably. Um, I think we're going to see. But I just hope they don't milk it like Assassin's Creed. As much as Assassin's Creed's still a good game, there is far... Well, look at this year, there's three Assassin's Creed games this year, really, in a way. Um, so I hope it doesn't watch something like that, because I think then it'll be quite boring. In fact, I don't think we should get one next year. I know we will, but I think I think the franchise should rest for another two years. Two, Yeah, two years, I'd say. And then have a full-blown, proper sequel in two years' time. So take a couple of years off, get it right, um, and just release something once we've all had a good break from it, is what you're saying? Pretty much, because I know it's, there's a lot of things you can do with hacking, but there's also, you can do a lot of things in this game already, so they're going to have to you know, spend that couple of years, brainstorm what you think would be the best idea that isn't repetitive, make sure it's not delayed, um, and yeah, just... Yeah. just um, personally, I've been very uh, vocal on Unchained, I think, about Watch Dogs. And um, I'm not going to go into the full-blown thing here, but basically what I was saying was the driving is not suitable for the environment that it's in. Um, Chicago is not the place for the kind of driving that Watch Dogs has. It's too busy, too many sharp turns, and you're always in a hurry. Uh, and the fact that driving is such a huge part of the game makes... Uh, a lot of people disappointed with the driving and thus the game. Um, character models, I think some of them are noticeably uh, poor. Not in general, but just in comparison to some others. Uh, for example, the scene in the beginning where Aiden meets his sister and his nephew, um, he looks perfectly fine, and then his sister and nephew, they look sort of 
cartoonish in a way. It, it, it sticks out a lot. So there, there are a bunch of question marks as far as Watch Dogs goes, um, inconsistencies that just shouldn't be there. And not to mention the whole thing with police officers finding you when they have no business finding you. Uh, you've already escaped them, and then all of a sudden, surprise, police officer just happens to walk up, and there you are. Um, there's just a bunch of things with Ubisoft, well, not with Ubisoft, but with Watch Dogs, that just shouldn't be there. And there was one thing, there was one thing that I always said, if Watch Dogs does this, I am going to be very upset. And that is, with, with Assassin's Creed... Uh, Ubisoft just hasn't perfected uh, open-world building, scaling controls. Uh, Sucker Punch has, because Infamous does the same kind of building, climbing, and, and running, and free-running type stuff that Assassin's Creed does. And Sucker Punch does it without the control issues, because you can be hanging on a building, and you will tell your character, whether it's Connor or Ezio or whoever, you'll tell your character... I want to jump from this building to that building two feet away. And instead, he will, like, flop off the building down to his death below or just run in a completely different direction. Um, and I always said, if Watch Dogs has that, I'm going to be very upset. And I was chasing someone the other day, and um, chasing people is annoying because it's so slow. And, and there isn't much you can do. But I was chasing him, and uh, I guess he stopped and then started running again. And so I stopped behind him, and as I started running after him again, um, Aiden Pierce decided, hey, this is a fantastic time to turn and climb on top of this bus stop. And so he did. <laughs> he turned and... Oh, well, you know, he wanted a better view. He, he, turned, <laughs> he turned and he climbed right on top of the bus stop, and I'm sitting here, like, pushing on the control, and Aiden just kind of just kind of stands there on the bus stop. I'm telling him, dude, move! Move! He's getting away! He just, oh! Then he just decides, oh, I, should, I guess I should run after him. He just runs off. <laughs> and I stopped playing. I hit the PlayStation button, and I closed the app, and I was done. And um, I, I have played since, but that was the one thing. The one thing that I was adamant about that if Watch Dogs has poor controls like that, I would be upset. And I'm upset. Um, By the way, I found a very boring, very, very boring Infinity XP glitch. Really? How? Um, get on top of a train, get a gun out, then when you get to a stop, shoot your gun at the roof of the train station, and the, the, the police, they'll phone the police, they'll go, Oh no, I found the criminal. And the, the police will come after you, but because you're on top of the train, they can't keep up, so you go out of range and you get 200 XP. <laughs> That's amazing. So you just pull your gun out, they'll go, Oh no, he's there. Yeet. What can we do? I don't know. He's on top of the train where he can't reach him. You know, that, that's a shame. <laughs> Guess can I just point one thing about Watch Dogs, though? Spider Tank. Spider I haven't met the spider tank yet. Sorry, no. There's something better than the spider tank, in my opinion. That madness mode is amazing. I, I will admit I haven't tried that yet, but I tried the spider tank and I was in there for like half an hour. This is just not like, really spoilers, yes. but this is, it's, oh, it's so good. You just go around in a car murdering yellow, blue, and fire weird-looking zombie things. 
It's amazing. Zombies, really? Well, zombie things. I don't know what the hell they are. They're just sort of standing in the road and you run them over. Uh, zombies are awesome, Glenn. No, I've, I've, get bored of killing zombies. I've had enough of zombies. Well, not, you don't, Spider Tank allows you to beat up the train. Yeah. <laughs> to beat up a train? Yeah, one of the objectives is you must, like, destroy the train. I didn't even know that was possible. Yep. Anything's destroy. possible with Spider Tank. Anything's possible with Spider Tank. That should be on a t shirt. <laughs> that should be on a t shirt. Anything's possible with the Spider Tank. With a Watchdogs logo on the back. Oh, jeez. I'm expecting that to see that on the Twitter now. <laughs> Hashtag Spider Tank shirt. Um. Um, <laughs> can I just say one more thing? Um, I think my biggest problem with Watchdogs is its immersion. I, I feel completely unimmersed in the world simply because of the upgrade system and the skill point system. Well, I, what about I, what about those systems hurts your immersion? Well, for one, you know, I have this phone that supposedly can do everything, right? I think they could have easily immersed me into that world at least better, in a better way by... Instead of, oh, I leveled up, let me buy this ability to raise the drawbridge. When, wh- why, why do I have to buy this ability when it's technically, if I'm some awesome hacker guy, I should just already have it? Yeah, that's true. You know, like, to, to me, I think they could have easily done it better by saying, oh, let me go to this smart hacker and have them upgrade my phone that way with... Mm-hmm. Because Money. plot. Because what? Because plot. <laughs> oh, I thought you said because pot, like marijuana. I was like, what? <laughs> Drug you know, just, you know, upgrading to to be able to be a better driver. You know, uh, upgrading my slow mo ability. You know, it, it completely takes me out of the world that that they've set up, which is this realistic, you know, real life setting, and I'm spending skill points to upgrade my character. I think that would have made a lot of sense. So instead of instead of just opening your phone and dropping skill points in all sorts of different weird places, you could actually go somewhere in the world and yeah, pay for it. Yeah, go an- just like some black market and be like, hey, can you upgrade my phone? I need this hack. And like, there'll be some sort of timer until you have it available for them to, to figure out how to do it. That makes so much more sense. Yeah, I mean, t- to me, it's just like, I, I hate to bring it up, but like obviously people are going to make the comparisons. Like in GTA Five, the way their upgrade system worked was: the more you use it, the better your character will become at it. Mm-hmm. So if you're running a lot, your endurance will start to increase, and you'll be able to sprint for a long period of time. Kind of like Skyrim had. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that would have been very smart. Hey, um, yeah. Ubisoft. If anyone from Ubisoft is listening. Um, I have a man here from the KGB named Gary Bagdasarov <laughs> who might want a job with Ubisoft, and I think you could use his help. <laughs> I think oh, I you could use that. his help. Um, that, that's very interesting. I, I think Ubisoft should hear that because that I think that would make for a much smoother, more solid upgrade system than is in Watch Dogs. Because you're right, every time you have to take out your phone and spend all this time doing the math for your skill points, you know, that's time you could be running around in Chicago. Yeah, like, instead, I, you're I, stuck in this menu. 
I have to buy the ability to be a handgun expert. I mean, what is that? Yeah, that's like, not in real life. You could go pay for. <laughs> you could go. You could go to a uh, training facility and get training. But, but to be fair, then you still have to pay money to get the training. Yeah. Well, no. Um, you could have a different system for that. I'd. Uh, it. It would be hard to figure out during the recording of a podcast, but I'm sure I could figure it out. <laughs> figure out a different system, like on the spot. Just oh, you could do this. Um, but yeah, Ubisoft. Hey, uh, Gary Bagdasara from from KGB. Uh, <laughs> ask for his help. Um, let's move on here, guys. The PlayStation Four. Uh, is going to launch in China, which is a pretty big deal because uh, just in China, like a lot of things can't launch in China that can launch here. Um, their government's just different from ours. And uh, the PlayStation 4 finally has clearance to launch in China. And um, Xbox One plans to do the very same thing. Um, I think actually Xbox One's plan to move to China came first. And now Sony is partnering with a group called Shanghai Oriental Pearl Culture Development to facilitate the um, PS4's launch in China. So how do you guys feel about this? PS4 and Xbox One are both going to China for launch. Which do you think is going to succeed more? Price. What? The price. The price? And I don't know how China is, but literally they'll they'll scoop it up when the price is at a level that they can possibly afford. Mm-hmm. But which which do you think has a, a better chance of success in China? Because we're in a China's in a place where there has never been a PlayStation and there has never been an Xbox. Here here we're tainted by these fanboy war things, but there is no such thing over in China. So in a in a blank slate territory where no one well, it's has... It's not really... Not really blank slate. I think it'll be Microsoft easily. You think it'll be easily Microsoft? Yeah. Why's that? Because there's always still a bit of a feud between China and Japan. Um, that's why a lot of Japanese products cannot be sold there unless it's by another company bringing it in. Because they don't like having Japanese products being sold there. That's true. So, if people know that they might not. They don't like Microsoft either because it's an American company. But chances are, out of spite, you might see more Microsoft Xbox One consoles sold because of that. Just because it's from Japan. Yeah. Uh, China, you're being racist. You, Why are you so racist? <laughs> don't be a racist. That's the whole. Pro- that's the whole problem here. Um, so th- that's actually pretty valid. What do you guys think? The rest of uh, Ben and, and Fraser. Um, I, I think um, I, I think it's it'll still be the PlayStation that'll do better, um, but I still have this weird notion of what's the point of launching it in China if most of the games are still going to be banned in China. <laughs> That's a good point too. They have a very very strict system in place in China, so I don't know what kind of games will come out for them, but I don't, I, I don't think either Microsoft or Sony should really waste the time, personally. Flower will be their only game. <laughs> <laughs> you could have China 
development studios, though, maybe. Yeah. But even then, you've got to still. What is it? It's, it's got to have no blood, no violence, from rightly. It can't involve China in any way, really. It can't. Yeah, you know, the China can't be bad guys. Uh, what else was it? There's someone else as well. There's loads of. Loads of strict. You can't have. You can't have nudity. You can't have swearing. You can't have. Um, so don't sell and don't send any Scottish people. <laughs> so basically, uh, every game in America can never go to China. Well, even Riley, even Mario wouldn't be able to go there because of the whole stepping on people's heads. Technically, mm. is would break <laughs> oh the rule. So you're right. Flower might be the only game. Enjoy flower. <laughs> <laughs> because you can't have Tetris because you'll be landing on, on other blocks and that'll make the blocks disappear and that's bad. Because and suddenly Flower becomes the biggest selling game of everything. So how about racing games? Racing games Well you crash are... it into people, which implies that there's violence. <laughs> oh man. And that's bad. See, hardware is absolutely nothing without software. Mm-hmm. And because PlayStation Four is very gamer geared and Xbox One has all these extra features, the TV stuff. Um, now, keep in mind that the Xbox One is very formatted for the US. I like. In, can you even use a lot of the TV features in the UK yet? Have they sorted that out? You can, but they, it still lags if you put in Snap. Okay. So, I think for people in China to pay um, an exorbitant amount of money for... and it, I say exorbitant loosely because now they are releasing an SKU at the same price point as the PS4. But it's still a very high price for something that you can buy a Chromecast for here in the States for 35 bucks, okay? And, and do pretty much what the Xbox One does without the voice commands and the TV overlay, okay? But is um, I think with that, then, the Xbox One has the edge for China because it does more than play the games, but I guess then the, the question is, is the price of the Xbox One worth getting those features for those who are in China? Like for that, will the features actually go to China? That's another question. That's, that's, that's another thing. Like, um, it's, again, it's very formatted for the U.S. They're still working on U.K., I guess, I, I hope. Um, they're going to have to implement a whole new format in China uh, or maybe not a whole new format. I, I guess they might use PAL or something there, an existing format. But things are, like like we were saying, regulations are different there, so they're going to have to do a bunch of different stuff for China too. And if they haven't been able to fix the UK's uh, Xbox One issues yet, then are they going to be able to do the same for China? Um, like you were saying, it just might not be worth the time and money to launch either of these game consoles in China. Um, Does China still have that great wall of China, great firewall of China? Still, the firewall, the great firewall of China. That's great uh, because a lot of it, I, I heard that term years ago. Basically, a lot of stuff is blocked. Like Wikipedia was blocked. Well, Google was blocked. I don't know if you'll even be able to use PSN on Chinese internet. Yeah, or Xbox Live because of all their yeah you know, strict rules on internet usage. Now, with, with all of this said, I, I do find it hard to believe that a company like Sony, or Microsoft for that matter, would go into all this work of rele- and spend all this money on launching a device in a brand new territory 
without taking all of these things into consideration. So do you think they could have a plan for, uh, for all of these things that we're discussing here? Probably. It we're, not, we're not, Sony said they've probably got some there. They've probably got, ah, we'll make £10 from there. That's enough money. <laughs> Ten whole pounders. We'll make, uh, we'll make another game called Water. <laughs> It'll be like flower, but with water. Yeah. No, because then it might, then you might kill some fish by splashing the water, and that'll be uh, bad. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Can't have that. Um, have that. Uh, steel <laughs> pond, the game. You look at a steel pond. Oh man! So, paint the walls. The game. Use motion control and VR to paint some walls. And, and then there's another challenge because even if they do manage to get past these barriers and, and get some content for these systems. Um, they have the problem of introducing uh, an entirely a place barely touched by video games at all to gaming and trying to get them into it. That that's going to be another challenge for them. Well, I think Nintendo's been there for a while. Has Nintendo been in China? Yeah, but Nintendo doesn't actually do it themselves. Oh, okay. Uh, it's they have their own brand in China. Right. Now, Sony is partnering with um, Shanghai Oriental Pearl Culture Development, or OPCD, um, to facilitate all of this uh, for the PlayStation 4. Um, but, you know, um, I guess the question is how Shanghai OPCD is going to do all of it, um, because there are a lot of challenges here. So they, they, do have some, they do have some kind of partner over there to help them out, um, if, if that's what Nintendo's been doing. Uh, here we go. The it's called the IQ Depot. IQ Depot. What is that? Yeah, that is the a weird video game console that released in China in two thousand three by developer Nintendo manufacturer IQ. Okay. It plays um, certain N sixty four games. Okay. When when was it released? Uh, two thousand three. Two thousand three. The IQ server, it even has it online. It adds wow. cloud storage, game updates. Really? Cloud storage? Yeah, cloud storage on the IQ. So it's like... Um... The future <laughs> in the past. The future past. Ooh. Oh my goodness. Um, so I guess China has had a little bit of gaming. Uh, at least uh, it, a little it had. Uh, Wave Racer 64, Star Force 64. Dr. Mario 64, Super Mario 64, The Legend of Zelda, Mario Kart 64, F-Zero-X, Yoshi Story, Paper Mario, Sin and Punishment, uh, Excite Bike, Super Smash Bros, Custom Robo, and Doop Soup, No Worry. Uh, those were the games. Mm-hmm. That's all its games. Wow, uh, that's all of them? Yeah. Wow. Uh, four of those came with a demo with the system. You got Wave Racer, Star Fox, Super Mario, and Legend of Zelda demo. So, uh, so at least they're familiar with some of the franchises that Nintendo has. Uh, all it looks like some of the games were translated text, but the voices were always English. Uh, there's more glitches than the original version. No, some of the original glitches were fixed for this version. Uh, and some of the uh, features were uh, removed due to lack of, of N64 control accessories like Rumble Pack. Nintendo uh, plans to support network multiplayer games, so it had online online multiplayer. 
and oh, you can add you add your own username, password as well. Oh my god, the IQ has better online functions than the Wii U. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh, poor Wii U. Poor Wii U. I want an IQ now. I want to watch it. Um, well, speaking of the Wii U, um, we've had a report this week that will surprise many people. Um, in Japan, not too far away from China, the Wii U has been having a very, very good week. In fact, it managed to outsell the PlayStation 4 in Japan for the first time. Um, of course, this could be partially attributed, or mostly attributed, I'll say, to the release of Mario Kart 8, which has been a very big seller for the Wii U. Finally! Finally! Um, But here's how the um, rankings go. The Nintendo 3DS um, is in the top with about 20,000 units sold. Uh, The Vita's close behind, 13,000. Wii U, 8,000, almost 9,000. And then comes the PS4 with 7 Point four thousand. Um, interestingly enough, the PS3 sold only four units less. Uh, PS4 had seventy three eighty seven. PS3 had seventy three eighty three. So um, I guess the PS3 is still selling very nicely in Japan. But the Wii U, finally, a little ray of light for Nintendo's struggling console um, as it finally tops the PS4 in some region um, in Japan. The Notable, by the way, is the fact that Xbox One... Well, I don't think Xbox One has launched there. But Xbox 360 sold 104 units um, at number nine on the list. So, <laughs> well, I, I guess the... I guess Microsoft, if it wants to launch the Xbox One in Japan, which it does, uh, it has a lot of work to do because right now what we're seeing is that no one cares. Well, I guess 104 people in Japan care about <laughs> Xbox. Woo! Um, I bet they're really happy with their new Xbox. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, Microsoft has its work cut out for it, but guys, how do you feel about the Wii U topping the PS4 for the first time? Congratulations! I... Congratulations! <laughs> what were you saying, Fraser? I... I like. I'm going to go with the fact that it's like it might be a ray of light, but there's been plenty of times before that it's like went, oh, massive sales, and then just went right back down. Zelda, the other Mario games, it's just it feels like it it could work. I mean, Mario Kart could be amazing. I don't personally like them. Don't burn me. I don't really play it. This is not my type of racing game. I I like. Gran Turismo and Grid and all that a lot more, um, but I it just feels like it it could work. I mean, I want Nintendo to stick around, but there's been too many times of like this is the game that will save the Wii U dies again. So I would say give it two weeks before coming back and then seeing what it's like. Absolutely, in the Wii's position, there's always something um everyone there's always some one thing that people look to in this sort of situation like oh let's wait until this game comes out or oh let's wait until it releases in this place let's wait until this happens but the thing is that that people overlook is that um there is never any one solution uh for a device's problems it's there's never one game there's never one territory there's never one anything it's always a bunch of things together um, so, 
yes, this is a very nice boost. Probably sold some units for the Wii U um, in the States as well. But definitely not going to be a lasting thing, in my opinion. Um, ben, did you have something else to say? Um, it sold 600... It, it, the sales went up in the UK as well with Mario Kart 8. Oh. By 666%. Wow. So, 666. Special. I don't know if that's good or bad. But <laughs> it, Mario Kart is officially the devil's game. <laughs> Which, to be fair, till now was Super Mario Brothers 3. But still. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, so six, but to be fair, six, six, 666% of one unit is, is, is still not that many. Yeah, I've won. Nah. <laughs> nah, I'm sure it sold pretty well in the UK. Mario that, Kart is a big franchise. That was a burn there, Ben. Yeah, it was a burn. Oh, that sucks. Um, <laughs> so, Wii U, good job in the UK. <laughs> one unit. <laughs> Okay, I, I have no clue how sales have been here so far. Um, any idea for the U.S., Gary? Um, I, I don't think they've released um, sales for the U.S. for it yet. Mm-hmm. But the, the game is doing well. They sh- sold 1.2 million units globally uh, of that game in the first two days of its release. Which is fantastic because that's a pretty decent chunk of the Wii U's current sales. Um, so that probably... No, it took second place behind Watch Dogs in the UK as the best-selling game. Phenomenal. To be fair, anyone, the UK is one... Well, for a while, was one of the worst markets in the in the world. We, we, we Pretty much everything got to number one in seconds here. Oh. Yeah, so I, I hate to be a downer, but it, the UK market's been a bit down recently. Okay. Well, we're looking for those U.S. figures whenever they are able to launch. Uh, keep your I, eyes open I, on the internet. I also find it interesting that it, it's doing so well, seeing as it came out in the same week as Watch Dogs as well. That is interesting, because a lot of people were out for Watch Dogs, but the fact that uh, Mario Kart 8 was actually able to compete with Watch Dogs, that's pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. That's pretty because we were just saying it's the biggest selling new IP in history. Yeah. So that's but, that that really yeah. speaks to um, how interested everyone is in this game. Yeah, I can be a downer again. Yeah. yeah. Um, you also remember how many other Wii U titles are there for them to purchase? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But Everyone's going to fight to to buy this game because there's nothing else to buy. Mm-hmm. They can't <laughs> buy Watch Dogs, so they, they, there's. It's Mario Kart 8 or, or nothing again. Yes, yes. Yeah, but the thing is, they've been, again, doing it for years. <laughs> Nintendo always sells their games better than everybody else does. They tend to. Um, mostly for nostalgia reasons, I think. Really, a, a lot of people who I talk to who say they love like Mario and Zelda... The biggest reason is, oh, you know, I grew up with this game. It's from my childhood and all of this stuff. So that's one edge that Nintendo does have. But I I don't know. It might be harder to get newer gamers into some of those franchises. That might be part of why there's, there's been a bit of a struggle lately for them. Yeah, but you also have to remember, Nintendo isn't losing a single dollar on any system that they sell. It's no. all 100% profit for them. 
Yeah, the, well, I don't know about a hundred percent profit. Well, yeah, but, <laughs> but yeah, they, it's all profit. For it's them. All, they they haven't been taking any losses at all, and while still delivering a system capable of decent quality, um, with perhaps the exception of the Wii U, whose quality compared to the PS3 and the Xbox 360 was noticeably lower, um, the Wii U is less than the PS4 and Xbox One as far as performance goes, but still releases pretty decent quality on its games. So um, that's pretty remarkable for them, and, and using far less power as well. Um, also, got to remember the Wii U is is quite a big, quite a bit of a jump up over the PS3. Not people seem to realize it does have a lot more, a lot better hardware than the PS3. It does absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I, yeah, I'm always negative, Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what's that, Gary? And like I said, I've been playing it. You know, my friends and I have been playing it, and again, it's it's one of those things where you just you play it and you just have fun the entire time, especially when you're playing with your friends. You know, it, Nintendo still just does something to just make you love their games again all the time. Like I skipped Mario Kart for the last two two Mario Karts that they came out, and then here I am coming back to it and. You know, I get, I grab the controller and it feels the same. I completely remember exactly how to play it, you know. But they just add the little things to make it so much better. You know, graphically, the game is gorgeous as well. It is, actually. I've been, I've been, I played a couple demos of it in GameStop and it's actually really, really pretty game. It is a really pretty, and it kind of looks better than some of the PS4, Xbox One titles that have come out. Mm Mm-hmm. In, in my opinion, but you know, I think I, I think the art style. It's because everything's consistent, because the mm-hmm. art style is far more cartoony. It's not focused on all of this realism and detail, so they can afford to add more like sparkles and shimmers and smooth textures and and all all of that stuff. So it, it's really consistent. Consistency is what's important when you're making graphics, and if things are inconsistent, they stick out, which is where uh, people notice them. But for, for this game, everything looks very very consistent and very shiny and very beautiful. So they did a fantastic job on it. It is a fantastic game. I think it's the best Mario Kart they've released so far. Mm-hmm. And for, for, and it's also really interesting. You know, we keep talking about how Nintendo's in trouble and all that. And yet here is Nintendo announcing that they've partnered with Mercedes to release carts in the game based on Mercedes cars. Yeah. Well, Nintendo's not in trouble at all. Like, even if the if the <laughs> yeah. Wii, if the Wii U were to die tomorrow, they still sell the most popular handheld video game console in the world. They're mm-hmm. and, and they have their video game studios. They're making money off Mario Kart Eight. They're not in trouble. The Wii U is what's in trouble. Um, so, I think that you know they have a little bit of hope here in Mario Kart 8. I guess they have a game to sell the system, finally. That's one step. Um, so I guess now the next question is, where does Nintendo go from here? Smash um, Brothers. Smash Brothers. See, for the three... It's gonna, I'm telling you, it's going to have even a bigger result than Mario Kart did. Maybe. I, I doubt it. I feel bad about it now. I, it'll have a good result. It'll sell well. I'm not saying it's going to sell poorly. But that split between the 3DS version and the Wii U version, half a year between them, that's not good news. That's not good news to me. Um, By the way, 
sorry to change subject, but we just got some news in about Watch Dogs. Oh. Breaking um, news. Breaking news from Fraser Miller. Four million copies of Watch Dogs have been sold. Four million copies? Four and million. Week. What? Is that it's a over three million. Across all platforms, right? Well, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Um, so if it was 4 million on the PS4, then I'd be very surprised. That That's be, pretty much all the PS4s. So. That would be ridiculous. No, I'm just asking if it's globally or if it's North America or UK only. Well, here's what it says. Um, Fraser, you actually linked this article. Do you want to read this bit, the second paragraph there? You have a better voice. <laughs> oh, I have a better voice. Okay. <laughs> um, this article is on Gamasutra.com. Uh, if you search Gamasutra Watchdogs, you'll probably find it. Um, second paragraph here says, The news is surprising but not unprecedented. Watchdogs reportedly set a new record for first-day sales of a Ubisoft title in the 24 hours after it launched across the major Western territories on PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, Xbox 360, Xbox One, and PC last week, becoming the fastest-selling new IP in the United Kingdom, according to UK market research firm ChartTrack. That's really crazy. So it's UK only? Um, it says across the major Western territories. So it's not UK only. But it is the fastest-selling new IP in the UK. Wow. Oh my goodness. Listen, Ubisoft, this is good news for you because you have a hit new franchise on your hand. What I beg of you right now is to not just say, oh, this is a success, let's make another one, but to actually listen to the feedback because you have something that could be just a gold mine here. It is a gold mine here in Watch Dogs. So many people are invested into this game. And so what Ubisoft needs to do now is to capitalize on that and perfect what they've started, um, which I'm sure I don't need to tell them. But just letting them know as a consumer, as a gamer, and as hopefully in the future a, f a real fan of Watch Dogs, because I'm having some trouble falling in love with this game right now, you know, take all of this in stride, learn from it, and make it better, because this is a game with a lot of potential. Definitely. See with of Ubisoft, course, though? This is well, sorry, Karen. Sorry, you, you can go first. I was going to say this is this is after you've finished rolling around in the money. Yeah, that, <laughs> once once you've, <laughs> once you've pulled the dollars out of your pants and out of your shirt and all that, that's what you've got. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, Fraser. Believe, see what Ubisoft though. I would probably I would have to say I sit in a corner because I I found in like the past generation they've learned a lot. Like the I, as some people might know, I'm a mostly a PC gamer. I have my PS4, my PS3, all that jazz as well. But it's like Ubisoft treated PC like garbage before, and they still have their you know their little quirks here and there. But they've came a long way, and it just feels like the. I mean, they've got the money to do it, I suppose, but they tend to take more risks than other publishers. You might think, oh, another Assassin's Creed, uh, and another Far Cry, but it's like. Far Cry Blood Dragon was completely bonkers, and no other publisher would have backed that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for big AAA games, a lot of risks aren't taken because, uh, like, again, it's a risk. It's a huge risk because there's so much money and, and time invested into these games, and you do not want to take the wrong risk and make the wrong step because you lose quite a bit. 
which is why indies have such a chance to be so successful. Um, but Ubisoft is pretty much, I don't know if it's the biggest, is it the biggest? It's one of the biggest uh, studios in the world. It has thousands and thousands of employees, um, multiple branches. It's a big, big studio. So um, I, I'm glad to see a studio taking bigger risks um, because then, I mean, look at Watch Dogs. That's how you find success. I just hope that, again, they just perfect what they've started. Did I cut you off there? Were you going to say something? No, you you got it well. Oh. Yeah, and, and they are apparently expecting to surpass the lifetime sales of the first Assassin's Creed, which was $6.3 million. Well, they're already at four million, and it's only been a week. I mean, they're on the they're on the right track. <laughs> a lot of people have said that uh, Watch Dogs like shifted a lot of uh, hardware for like PS4 as well. A lot of people bought PS4s with Watch Dogs. Yeah, that's true. So it'll be it'll be because Watch Dogs was really uh, promoted as a PS4 game, even though it's on all consoles. Because you have the 60 minutes, and I'll see commercials all the time, and I never once see Xbox mentioned in any of the commercials. Or I remember that 360 days. Yeah, yeah, 360 would get that a lot too. And so, you know, you, you see a Watch Dogs commercial, and you see the PlayStation logo in the beginning. And then you see the whole commercial, and at the end, it shows the greatness awaits. It shows the PlayStation branding, PlayStation everything. Like, Watch Dogs is just not, I mean, Xbox is just not part of the marketing for Watch Dogs right now. And I don't know how PlayStation scored it, but I'm sure it's moved a lot of units. I'm eager to see the next, um, the next bit of information from NPD about sales for the month. I'm, I'll PS4 is over PS4 is over eight million units sold now. Wait, really? That's, that was, that's been announced. Um, Sorry, if you give me, if you just carry on, well, you give me a minute to actually find the article. Um, I noticed it yesterday; it sold over eight million. So, okay, carry on. Okay, we'll do that. Ben, what were you saying? Okay, so I was, I would expect it to say maybe ten million at E three will be one of the big announcements. Ten million at E three? That would be ridiculous. I don't think it'll be ten million. No, well, I don't think it'll be ten million. I mean. I think it'll they be... can probably say they ship ten million, but not sold. Yeah, I don't think we'll get actually sold ten million, but it'd be a great way to say, "Look, look how many we've sold ten millions." So, if let's say that, um, let's let's take a little more realistic approach and say about nine million. That, that's still generous. Uh, it was just at seven million. Moving ten million in just a month or so is ridiculous. Well, no, they were over eight million. They're over that's eight million. Yeah. So they, that'd be a, a million in a month a and mil- a bit. A million in a month and a bit. So okay, they're at eight million. Last time we heard from Xbox, it had shipped five million. So by now, um, how do you think Xbox might be doing? If you had to guess, uh, I think it'd be close to six million. About six million. Shipped. But or, I think they'll be shipped. I think six million, nearly six million sold. But possibly seven million shipped because they're shipping out all the new connectless Xbox ones. Yeah, they're, they're they'll be shipping them. They they aren't um, ready for release yet. So you think about seven million shipped, six million sold. Well, if they're lucky. If they're lucky, um, Gary, how do you feel uh, about what? About um, how Xbox might be doing in sales now. 
uh, now that the 390, well, if the 399 unit only came out this month, so I don't... It's not actually out yet. That's just pre-orders. Yeah. Um, Sales-wise, um, I would say they're probably $4 million. Even after even after last month's report that it had shipped $5 million? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it has done too much better. Um, Fraser, I think, I think uh, if they reveal pre-order numbers for the 399 unit, it might be higher. But right, uh, max I'll go five million. Yeah, but, yeah, that's interesting because I'll bet now that they've announced the pre-order thing, all their a lot of the sales for Xbox have gone to the pre-orders, and they haven't been selling much more of their previous SKU. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, yeah, that makes that makes sense. Uh, I think it'll also be really smart for Microsoft. To um, oh no, I guess it won't work. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Well, what were you gonna say? No, I was gonna say you know if, if people wanna trade in their Connect version of the Xbox, you know they'll give them the the newer one and give them a hundred dollars back. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, that's why. They, yeah, it won't work. So. That that would that would probably leave them with a loss. And besides, they still believe in the Connect. They're literally just doing. They're. I feel like they're doing this begrudgingly because they have to. Like you know, they're losing sales and customers yep. are saying they don't want it. I don't think they've even. Have they even said if you can still buy the Connect without the system? I'd be shocked because the Connect is tied in with so many of the Xbox One's selling points. Um, it would. You have, remember though that with with the new Xbox One Connect, Connect new Xbox One Connect. Let's one. The disconnected one. Um, That's my they've favorite. now removed the standard. You don't have to. You don't actually have to put Connect in your games anymore. Yeah, so Connect is before isn't it was a standard. You had to put voice. You had to use Connect in some way. <laughs> now you do not. No, um, Fraser. How do you feel Xbox might be doing? Um, I think they're. I, I'm going to be honest. Nobody hate me. That they're running the, with their tail between their legs. Uh, I don't. I say that because because before they'd sold like they're saying, oh, you know, we put five million into retailers. They'd only sold through three million. You've um, did they ever release that statistic? You found it somewhere? I can't even remember you, where it was. I just, just I, 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 I saw an article, but it's been like months now. Um, that was like back in March, I think it was, mm-hmm. and it just like I feel that. As Gary said, it's like when they've announced this thing, everybody just went, okay, I don't want an Xbox One now. They're just going to wait. It might boost sales, it might not, because it still comes down to you need games, and it was meant to be, oh, Titanfall, then don't put it on the 360. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because people, if you're wanting people to move from 360 to Xbox One, you need to give them a reason to move, and they kind of destroyed that reason when they went, oh, it's releasing on 360. People are like, well, oh, just wait then. So this is going to be a very important E3 for Microsoft, more important than ever, because, uh, okay, first of all, I think it's absolutely weird, absolutely weird that now people are having to pre-order something that's been out already. I think that's just ridiculous. Why? Anyway. Um, But now this E3 is the place where um, Microsoft really, really, really needs to buckle down and say, hey, we are not the same company that was at E3 last year. 
Um, we are not the same company that was telling you to deal with it and telling people to, you know, stick with an Xbox 360. We that's we are we have a different vision for the Xbox One now. This is what we're doing, and we have a bunch of content coming your way. That's what X, that's what Microsoft really needs right now. Um, and they really need to sell this new SKU that they have and say, hey, we're on the same price point with the PS4 now. You know, you don't have Kinect. So, you know, that's interesting because Kinect takes out a lot of the selling points of the of the, of the the Xbox One. So without Kinect, I guess, I, I don't know how they're going to market that. But that's what they, they really need to get going. Um, Frazier, I got your link. Um, here's what it says. It's from Tom'sHardware.com. And it says, Insider... Uh, yeah, that is inside derp. <laughs> the source that leaked the 7 million units sold landmark for the PS4 is now reporting that the PS4 has sold over 8 million units as of May 19, 2004. The outlet had reported... The 2004? 14. I can't <laughs> read. The outlet had reported the 7 million units figure at the end of March. Sony confirmed these figures two weeks later in an official PS blog. If Inside Derp is to be believed, then it seems like the PS4's giant momentum in sales is starting to slow down. Still, 8 million units is no small number. Um, I don't know about slow down. A million units in a month is pretty nice. Um, and we don't have the number of, mil- of of units yet now that Watch Dogs is out. Again, I've, I've, I would imagine that Watch Dogs did some moving of its own. But this figure comes as of May 19, um, a good week or so before uh, Watch Dogs released. So it might be very possible that the PS4 has sold 8.5 million units or 9.5 million units as of the next figures. Um, well, not as as of the next figures, but as of June's uh, figures. So the ones the ones that will come in July, uh, talking about June, those might be somewhere around nine million. That would be pretty cool. A, uh, a million units in a whole month. That's that's really nice. So the PS4 in half in just half a year has sold eight million units. Like people people keep saying that it's selling like hotcakes. I don't even think they sold actual hotcakes this fast. Okay, that's that's pretty crazy. Um, so congratulations to PS4 and and Microsoft has its work cut out for it. Uh, it's a fine console, but they just have to work on getting everybody to believe that uh, the way that they do. Um, wow, I, I'm I'm still just kind of digesting that eight million units. What do you guys think? I I just. I'm taken back with how well the PS4 I mean I've always loved Sony products since I was young and it's just like the, the as I would say as Sony found their balls when they came to E3 last year and kicked Microsoft and went toe to toe and it's kind of they're reaping the benefits Microsoft really Sony didn't have to do much yes I, I totally agree with you because they they definitely found their voice and they were like We've learned from what happened last time, and this is what we're doing this time. And, and Sony came to play this time around, but really they didn't have to do much because Microsoft had already dug itself into a hole. Um, which is interesting because nobody really minded the Xbox One until Sony's press conference. Um, it was Jack Tretton up on... I'll, I'll never forget seeing this. It was so cool because Jack Tretton comes up on stage... And, you know, he's talking about 
um, games and, and how the PS4 is going to work with them. And then he finally just essentially says, yeah, remember that Xbox One conference this morning where it talked about the DRM and you know not being able to share games and whatnot? Yeah, we're not going to do any of that. And the place just exploded. Like, I, I'm not, I, I don't think I'll forget that. Like, people just cheering like crazy and people actually chanting, Sony, Sony. Like, <laughs> it's not, it's not, I, I do like PlayStation, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's not because I'm a PlayStation fan, but it's just that that moment in gaming at, at an E3, at a press conference, I mean, we don't get moments like that very often. And and so it was crazy. And Sony didn't have to do very much for it. All they had to do was say, we're not doing that. We're not that guy. I, it's it's funny because I think people went into the Sony conference ex- pretty much expecting the same thing. Now, I don't think people believe that if one company is doing they can't be this dumb to be the only company doing it. Something must be going on. Everybody's <laughs> probably doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I, I even it. think that EA felt the same way as that, Gary. I think that <laughs> EA thought no. I think that's why they said we're not doing online passes anymore because they expected. They uh, did. I totally yeah. agree with you. Yeah. I think they they were expecting Sony to do the same thing, and then that's probably part of why Titanfall went over to the Xbox side and, and stuck with that exclusivity for consoles. Um. I can imagine just the look on the EA exec's face when the crowd erupted like that and they were just like, oh, what have we just done? You know? Because now, guess what? Consumers are definitely into the PlayStation 4 and we've already done the deal with the um, with the Xbox. So now there's going to be a bunch of PR stuff. Like, I, I can't imagine why they would have made such a deal in the first place. I mean, why why exclude part of the audience? Was the money really that good that Microsoft was offering them? I mean, to, to do because because it's EA. I mean, why would EA of all companies feel the need to have an exclusive title on either console? To uh, be fair, Microsoft does have an incredible amount of cash reserves. It does, but it ended up not being worth it for EA anyway. Remember, they were talking about how they regretted. Um, the exclusivity deal? I think to EA it didn't, but to Microsoft, I don't think Microsoft really cared because they were just like, oh, that's a penny out of our pocket. Microsoft has a lot more money than Sony. I will give them that. Sony's a better hardware maker, but Microsoft's a better software maker, but Microsoft's been around for years doing Windows, doing Office, the servers and everything. Companies use them left, right and center. They have a lot of money to fling around, but shareholders aren't too happy with the Xbox side. So, what would you, what do you think would happen if? Um, have you have you ever seen Heroes, the show Heroes? Yes, okay. and it's coming back. It is. I'm excited. I can't wait for it to come back. Okay, so what would you do if the planets aligned and there was just some eclipse and things just changed or something, and Sony and Microsoft announced? okay, we're going to make another console and we're going to work together on it. And Sony's going to make the hardware and Microsoft is going to make the software. How do you think that would look? I think people would jump to Nintendo. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Instant success. To be fair, Glenn, we kind of had something. We nearly had, if history had been a bit different, we might have had something like that in a way. 
in some ways. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, explain. Uh, basically, when the Dreamcast was was at its end, Microsoft came, went to Sega and pretty much offered them some money to have the new Microsoft Xbox, the original, uh, use GDR-ROMs to run Dreamcast games on the Xbox. Oh. Uh, and basically, there was a deal going on about it, but then a couple of years after they realized that the ROMs were easy to sort of copy, so it just got dropped. Like a, But that's why the Dreamcast used the Windows operating system as its basis, because originally there was going to be Dreamcast games on the Xbox. Right, right. So we so, would have had some kind of collaboration, yeah. but I guess the Eclipse didn't last long enough. Um, nah, it just did. Micro Sega? Yeah. Sega Soft. Sega Soft. There we go. Uh, Sega Soft. The Dreambox, it would be called. Um, that's, that's a catchy one. Um, although we did have a little bit of something go on, it is partly Nintendo's fault that PlayStation exists in the first place. So thank you very much to Nintendo for some of the greatest gaming experiences on an opposing console that I have ever had. And um, <laughs> that, that was a really weird sentence to say. Um, okay, so let's move on just one more time and let's talk about E3. Uh, last episode, I think, was it last episode or the episode before? Yeah, it was last episode. How do you even know what I'm talking about? Because I remember things. Okay. Because we've seen it in the I'm future. I'm KGB, dude. We have technology. Okay, gotcha. Um, apparently there are robots in my brain. Um, last episode, apparently, I was talking about E3. And I'm just going to reiterate something I said. Um, E3 is going to show different content and, and different hardware for, for different companies, of course. And, of course, we have this absolutely asinine... Uh, fanboy war going on and we're, we're at a stage where some of these people would like the opposing company to simply crumble and disappear so that their favorite company could have their spot in the limelight um, the problem with that however is the fact that in 2006 Sony released a console called the PlayStation 3 that it had very high expectations for it launched at $600, offered really good hardware, but was very difficult to program for. And Sony's attitude toward that was, well, you're going to want it so badly that you'll get another job to get it. Fans responded to that with, no, I'll just get an Xbox 360. Um, and so the Xbox 360 took off like a rocket. Um, and Sony was forced eventually to say, okay, we're going to have to rethink what we're doing, and we're going to have to make the PS3 more consumer-friendly. And so it did. And eventually the PS3 overcame its hurdles and became a very, very good console. In fact, in a couple months, it even beat the Xbox 360, which is remarkable because that it was behind, so it had to sell faster in order to do that. Um, but we would not have had that if it were not for the Xbox 360. Fast forward to 2013. The Xbox One, after nearly a decade on top with the Xbox 360, Microsoft is pretty confident that gamers will buy whatever the heck it throws out there. And so it introduces the Xbox One at $500. Um, some of the features, the, the ultimate vision it has for the Xbox One sounds appealing, 
but it's not a very consumer-friendly device. The DRM is intrusive. You cannot share full games, and what you can share is slightly more difficult to do so, uh, even if the online library is a little more appealing. And it just, Microsoft's attitude toward the whole thing is, this is what we are doing. If you don't like it, go buy our last console because we don't care. Essentially, that's basically what it was. Hashtag deal with it. Stick with the Xbox 360. And then along came the PS4, who'd had little to do except to say, we're not that guy. We're not that guy. And Xbox was forced to say, we're going to have to rethink what we're doing. And now we have an Xbox One that is A, on the same price point as the competition, and B, a far more consumer-friendly device where you can share your games like you always have, where you can play them like you always have, that would not have happened were it not for Sony and were it not for the PS4. My point? Competition drives this industry. All of you who are cheering with all your every fiber of your being for one company to succeed and the other to fail do not understand how this industry works. Because the opposing company's success means that your favorite company is going to fight harder to give you better quality hardware and software. PlayStation's success means Xbox is going to fight harder. Xbox's success, as you've seen, means that PlayStation is going to fight harder. This is good news for everybody, and we are all gamers. So, next E3, um, which is on June 9th, in just a week, less than a week here by the time you hear this, okay? Next E3, I would like to hear all of you, okay, watching E3 and seeing the different presentations go on and absorbing what's happening and cheering for the opposing team. Not necessarily because you love what they do or because you're a bona fide fan, but because it's a success for the industry. Their success is a success for you, even if you don't own that console, okay? You don't have to cheer for them as loudly as you do your favorite company, um, if you're an Xbox fan, you don't have to cheer for, cheer for PlayStation as loudly as you do Xbox, and vice versa for PlayStation fans. But you should be cheering for them to succeed, because their success means your company is going to fight harder to give you a better product. They battle, we benefit. That's how this industry works. So definitely tune into E3 next week. Uh, tell us what you think about what goes on there. Uh, tweet us at VRDGH, T-H-E-R-D-G-H. And we will discuss it next week on our recap of uh, E3. But before we go on um, to that, we have another article sent to me by our favorite shapeshifter who talks about E3 and asks a very interesting question. Does E3 still matter? Um, Fraser, I have not read through this entire article. Are you able to tell me about it? I've been talking so long, I think we've lost Frasier. We've lost a Frasier? We've lost our, we've lost our shapeshifter. He's shapeshifted away. I'm here. Oh, you're here! Okay, yes! Way. I, I had a coughing fit, so I didn't want everybody to like have their ears blown out. Oh, okay. Uh, are you, you alright? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Okay. I, okay, I, just, I just need to go get a drink when this is finished, you know? <laughs> alright. No, I've, I've skimmed through like bits and bobs this because it's huge, but it's... I... You, I think E3 is the perfect platform for people because it's like 
the you know big companies spend all these money and people like they could put the money elsewhere but it's like how would you know about stuff why do you look i mean obviously we've got playstation universe you've got other websites it's like but you want to see these big presentations you want to see them get on stage and be like look at this this you know we're really excited and confident behind our product and that drives hype that i mean remember when watchdogs were revealed the, the internet exploded mm-hmm. and it's just like what else could they do? Or they could put a little uh, trailer up on YouTube. Nobody would probably know any better. Yeah, with without a big outlet like E3, um, there would be so much less excitement about video games, wouldn't there? Pretty much. And like in this article, though, it's going into like you know someone sitting on the fence, but someone really loves it. But it's also the fact that. You know, business deals are struck up at E3. You know, people find jobs at E3 as well. It's not just about, you know, us sitting at home, maybe watching it, or people, you know, like we, we've got Kyle and Ernest and et cetera going to the event, but it's like business deals are done. People get picked up by studios. You know, you might go over there and you talk to a few developers, and next thing you're working for Naughty Dog. Right, right, right. So... <laughs> but it, just a, a lot of E3 is just really central to a lot of the deals that go on that bring us this content that we love. Pretty much, and it's like, I mean, yeah, you know, you get companies spending probably millions, billions for the bigger free. I would say maybe not Nintendo because they, they have their Nintendo Direct, but it's like it's a very, very good way for people to get a hold of your product to see your product and it's like you know there is the tokyo game show as well uh Eurogamer, and scotland has one coming up uh, scotland game expo but it's like e3 is the biggest event for everybody to show their toys that's true and and everybody pays attention you know the the world pretty much i mean i have work off to see this um, people i know get work off and they'll stay up to watch everything i'm excited for all the the press conferences. I want to see what goodies I could get a hold of, what I could spend my time playing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So E3 is just the big hype builder for the industry, isn't it? It's it's one of the biggest shows where you, you learn about what's coming and it generates excitement because all of these companies try and sell these things to you. Yeah, it, it's because, like, I, I mean, I can understand where some people are going, oh, it's just E3, but it's like, um, it, it starts the wheels churning. It starts the whole industry going. I mean, everybody prepares for this. Obviously, you know, they're setting money aside to do demos and everything for their stage presentations. That's, that's one of the good points that are brought up in the article about the, the fact it's just like, well, you know, the development's kind of halted to produce a demo. But it's like, yeah, but how else would, I mean, you obviously can take Twitch, you could maybe put a YouTube playthrough up of it or something, but other than that, it's like, big massive screen, big massive presentation, that's where you want to see the next Uncharted. Absolutely. I I, I mean, I'll be sitting on my monitor, on my PC, watching it, but it's like, as soon as Uncharted comes on, my jaw's probably going to drop, and then you're going to be like, yep, that's the game I'm getting. Whereas (laughs) otherwise, it'd just be like, well, okay, you know, a little bit of fanfare. Right, right. Um, let's ground this a little bit here, and, and let's explain where this is coming from. Actually, I, I'm going to read you a little bit of this article 
Um, as Fraser said, it's a very big article, so this is just a little bit. Um, this article can be found on tmi.kotaku.com. TMI is a Kotaku property, um, and it was written by Nathan Grayson. And it's called, Does E3 Still Matter? Here's what he says. Um, it's been sort of an inevitable question among many fellow journals I've run into this month. What's the point of E3 these days? What does it actually accomplish anymore? Who's tuning in, and what is everyone trying to show them? Is it for diehard fans, the mythical unicorn-like mainstream audience, some awkwardly clashing hybrid of the two? Jason stills a, still adores E3. I'm, I'm not exactly sure who Jason is. It's a link, but um, that does us nothing for RDGH. Uh, but he says, I'm on the fence. We've seen a preposterous number of mic drop level announcements happen before the show this year, but that might actually be a wise decision for publishers. They'd probably get crushed in the rhino stampede-like flood of mid-E3 announcements otherwise. It makes some degree of sense to disperse these things, to let folks like you and me really dig into them on our own time, instead of hurrying along like we're trying to get in line for every ride at the carnival. And believe me, E3 is absolutely a carnival. On the other hand, if we de-emphasize the importance of E3 even more, it makes less and less sense for anyone to actually go there, let alone spend the amount of money some people do just to attend and demo a couple games. Developers and publishers from outside the U.S. especially have to go through tremendous trouble to coordinate their E3 song and dance, not to mention halt development on a lot of games to produce demos and send development leads to E3's grimy, sweaty, desperate front lines. Uh, I'm going to skip a paragraph here. He says, in that sense, it's been interesting to watch E3 evolve, or really to watch E3 tread water while the ceaseless march of progress forces it to evolve little by little. But is it enough to justify all the hassle, and does anyone care enough relative to how much they'd care if these announcements were just made some other time, some other place, or by way of something far cheaper and more directly aimed at fans like A or Nintendo Direct? Or even something more accessible for mainstream fans, for instance, the Spike TV VGXs. Um, so really what Nathan Grayson from TMI.Kotaku.com is saying is all of these game announcements that we're getting around this time of year um, could really just be dispersed because we still get a lot of, a, a lot of uh, excitement from seeing these things happen online and in different ways. So is E3 really necessary for the industry? Is it really something um, that we need to get the info that we're getting at E3? Uh, can, can we get this information in another way and, and still have the same effect? Um, so that's what he asked. It's a good read. Definitely check out uh, the rest of the article, um, there's interviews from J.P. LeBreton. He was a Bioshock developer, and he's working on something from Double Fine right now. Um, uh, some interviews from other important people. Uh, so definitely give that a look. Uh, ben is telling me to look... Uh, excuse me, not Ben. Excuse me, Fraser <laughs> is telling me to take a look at the next paragraph. So um, let's read the next paragraph real quick. It says, business deals happen at E3, but they also happen elsewhere. Is that it? Yeah, okay. it's like saying like, you know, vice versa, they can happen, it's like, but people can talk face to face. Okay, how valuable is that particular space for those things? At least on that front, the numbers seem to speak for themselves. I reached out to E3 organizational body, the Entertainment Software Association, and they told me that, according to attendee survey data, $2.5 billion of buy orders were made due to what retailers saw last E3. Further, 91% of business attendees called E3 a must-attend event, and 98% said it was useful for their business. So if you're doing retail business, E3's original purpose, then it's still the place to be. 
Um, so while it may not be very important for uh, for fans and for gamers, it's extremely important for business. Um, is basically what that paragraph is saying. Is that right, Fraser? Pretty much, but it's like it's it's in a way I find it's important to fans because every uh, like I said, everybody kind of gets to see the new toys and in a big big way, and it has a lot of fanfare and hype. As example, Watch Dogs is a perfect example for how things blew up after Ubisoft walked off the stage. Absolutely, E three E three two thousand twelve. Um, I when I saw that trailer for the first time. It wasn't even at E3. I didn't watch E3 2012 live. I, I found this trailer on YouTube later, and immediately I was just like, I want this game. I don't even care. I want this game. So, yeah, I, I can imagine at E3 with all the business, the, this big business environment that is E3, um, I can imagine what kind of deals might have gone on after that. That's pretty crazy. How, how do the rest of you feel about E3 and its usefulness to the industry? Uh, ben, what do you think? I don't think it's as useful as it used to be. At the same time, just because it's not useful doesn't mean it's not needed. It, it's a great way for gamers to, you know, it's it's a, it's just a great way for gamers to sit around and have a chat and discuss, you know, what's going to be coming up in the year. You know, see what's what is what is planned, what is on show, what people, you know, hear about the you know set the sales. I think it's a great way to keep. It's just a great event. Even if it isn't needed now because of all the leaks and all the information spread, it's just it it's still wanted, in my opinion. Even if it isn't needed, it is. I would say it's kind of still needed. But if people, even if people say it isn't, and it just it feels like um, at least Sony is trying to really involve the fans this year um, because they are offering Sony is offering a very new way to watch E3. It has apparently struck a deal with several theaters, and, and 50 theater companies, I should say, and 50 theaters or so nationwide are going to be uh, broadcasting E3 live in their theaters. Um, and not only that, but Sony has promised uh, an after show about half an hour long with exclusive demos in the theaters, um, exclusive um demos and exclusive interviews with developers and it has been touting uh that attendees will take home a quote playstation surprise um whether that is a t-shirt or a keychain or a playstation vita or i i have heard i have heard theories from all over the place um i will be i'll actually be attending that which will be a cool so i guess i'll have stuff something on that to share um next rdgh but um, do you think that it really matters uh, for Sony to get more fans involved into E3 like this? Is it is it worth their time and money? By the way, the rumor has it is it's the a um, Battlefield Hardlight beta code. You know that is see I saw that. Um, someone on NeoGAF posted, hey, I just got this email that says, basically, thank you for attending PlayStation E3 experience. Here is your code for the Battlefield Hardline beta, but did not include a code. Um, the fact that it didn't include the code and the fact that I'm attending E3 and have not received such an email and the fact that every source saying this online is really pointing to this article and there doesn't seem to be any other similar experience that's publicized 
I feel like calling shenanigans on that. Um, not It'd be interesting to see. Yeah, not saying not saying it's not a possibility, but um, I, I don't think that's real. I just don't think that's real. But I, I don't know what it is. It could be a game. Like they could say, "Hey, this game is out now. Surprise! Here's the game." You know, take the Last of Us. The Last of Us. Last of Us for PS4. There you go. <laughs> that's that's possible too. A rumor broke out today. A game accidentally tweeted um, that The Last of Us for PS4 would be out next week. And they since tweeted again and said, hey, that was a mis, uh, mistweet, and it's, it's not real. Someone was overexcited. I, I always go with the signal that, like, even though there's rumors, there's a, a rumor always sparse from a truth of some sort. Yeah. Like, it might not release next week, but it might be that, like, Sony goes, you know, you're getting this at the end of the month. Could be. Because where, where did that come from? You know, it's, 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 over-eager employee, they said. Yeah, but the over-eager employee could have had the right information, just posted it early. It's, it's, rumors always spar from some sort of truth. Mm-hmm. As a, it's just it's a personal thing to me, but I always feel that you know some sort of truth will be there. I mean, because The Last of Us did release the week of E3, did it not, if I remember right? Right, right, right. When it released it, because yeah. they showed it off, and it's like, you can get this at the end of the week. So it's possible... Um, I would be surprised if it, if they announce that it's coming out that Friday. So um, those of us going to see the E3 experience for PlayStation in the theaters could walk home with a new video game. Or uh, another very likely scenario is that we could leave with a very shiny new PlayStation keychain. Um, <laughs> well, I don't think you'll walk away with the game, but I think you'll walk away, if they do give the game away, you'll walk away with, say... Uh, 50, 30, 40 or 30 percent PSN uh, voucher or whatever. Maybe, maybe. Um, either way, if you did not sign up for the E3 experience, uh, it, it sold out really quickly. It's only in the States. Sorry, UK. Um, it, um, let's see. It sold out in just a couple hours, I think. Really just a couple hours it was sold out. But there are waiting lists, and basically what's going on is... The seats for those who signed up are guaranteed until 15 minutes prior to the show. At at that point, they're just going to open it up to those on the wait list and those who are there. So if you get there early, uh, you might still be able to get in on a seat for the E3 experience. But just in case, do get on that wait list because you never know. Um, I I can just see you sitting there with a bunch of fanboys. Right now, but I th- I would, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But th- <laughs> yeah, and, that's uh, what you have to put up with next week. I'm going to see what's what's worries me most is the trolls, because last year, uh, November 13th, we have had some of the most dedicated trolls spend four hundred dollars on a PS4 or five hundred dollars on an Xbox One just so that they could stand outside the store and smash it to bits. Which I freaking... (laughs) I I cannot stand these people. Because, listen, I don't give a crap if you hate the console. No one in the line cares if you hate the console. But you just spent $400, $500 on something that's extremely scarce that could make some poor kid's day at Christmas time. Or, or that could just make someone happy someday. You spent $500 to take that away from someone. 
to prove a point that no one gives a crap about. I cannot stand those people. I cannot stand any of those people. That's absolute stupidity. I hate that. Um, so that was my mini rant for this episode of RDGH. But it, the, the fact of the matter is, if we have that going on, then we're probably going to have some people with no lives from the Xbox side coming to these events to heckle the crowd, which I think isn't going to be too much of a problem because, A, it runs from 9 to 11, so congratulations, you just signed yourself out up for two hours uh, listening to something that you apparently don't care about. Good on you, Pops. Um, also, if you make too much of a fuss in the theater, there are theater staff that can kick you out. So I'm not too worried about them. Um, it's just going to be an annoyance if they are at my local theater next Monday. Um, but yes, I, I absolutely cannot stand those How Can you imagine spending all of that time waiting in line uh, at midnight to buy a $400 or $500 console to stand outside and smash it to pieces? Four or five hundred, and you know what? Uh, on one of them, you know, you had someone come up and try to take the controller and say, "Hey, you know, I'm buying a PS4 and I plan to keep it. Can I have you the controller?" And he wouldn't even let him take the controller. He smashed the controller too. Like, what the heck? You guys are just I, silent. Did I? I could, I could make a very well, not really a good point for why you would smash it, but people tend to do this, shove it on YouTube, and then make money off of the YouTube video to buy another console. No, there are those two. There are those two. I've seen them. Like, I saw a guy, he was drinking Gatorade, and he was like, I'm going to smash a PS4. Like, it's the coolest thing in the world. And I, everyone watch me smash a PS4. And, like, he had a lot of trouble. I think he smashed it on the floor, and it didn't break or something, and he took a bat to it, or it didn't... It, it took a while. It took a while, but he eventually broke it. And... He was like, yeah, subscribe, it's like so much... But it wasn't even that. Like, he... I don't even think that the guy who smashed it was the one who put it on YouTube. I think it was just someone else who... It was literally just someone else who was recording it in the line, I think, who just put it on YouTube. Oh, well. It's just the most ridiculous thing. And I don't understand the people who just smash stuff for fun, either, for months. That's weird to me, but whatever. I, you know, I don't do that on my channel, so don't worry. No, <laughs> For, as far as that's concerned, to each his own. But, you know, for, for something like this, to spend so much money just to prove a point that no one gives a crap about, you know, hope you feel good losing all that money. I hope it was worth it to you. Um, <laughs> but moving, uh, moving right along here. I must admit, I like it when people open them up so you can see what they are built from. I must be like not the breaking apart, but yeah, if they oh yeah, opening up the and device then, and, and yeah. taking a look at the insides of it. Yeah, didn't Sony uh, release a video for that? I for think Sony PS4, did actually. Sony did. No, they did, no, I don't think they released one. The actual PS4 itself, they just released for the box. I meant actually unscrewing the PS4 and showing off each individual part of it. Well, wait a minute. I do remember them showing something like. Well, no, I think what happened was they didn't open it up all the way. I think they showed no. how to take the. Um, how to take yeah, the sure. hard drive out and how, yeah, how to change is, the hard drive. Which is easy enough. It's just the side. Yeah. But they didn't, yeah. they didn't show how to take the whole thing apart. Yeah, which I, I must admit I like those videos because I like, I like seeing the insides of consoles. Of just consoles? Well, of anything, really. Of anything? Okay. 
Like just specifically, oh, it's like a console fetish or something. Just not just so just any hardware, really. <laughs> okay, right. I, 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 I saw the fact that I was walking across the road and someone had broken the traffic light, and I, I go, "Oh my god, I can see, I can see the the insides of the traffic light." Oh really? I now have I now have this weird image in my head of you just sitting going, "I'm going to leave." Uh, what does this do? Oh God, this hurts! It, it, it has electricity. <laughs> you know what's interesting? That could be like the script. For what Ben would say, I could imagine him saying it exactly like that. One hundred percent like that. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> that's ex- that's exactly what you would say. You'd be like, "Oh, this has electricity and it hurts. It hurts my hand." That's exactly what you would say. <laughs> oh no, I'm losing the words. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we are at a, an hour and a half, guys. We are done for episode 20. It's been a fun episode. We've, I, I love this time of year. Like This time of year is just full of excitement of new things to come. So definitely, guys, check out E3. And uh, again, tweet us at RDGH. Excuse me, at the RDGH. T-H-E-R-D-G-H. And um, we will talk about your E3 comments on the air next episode. Um, last episode, speaking of which, we got an iTunes review from Theo Seraph, 1985. Um, it, here's what he said. He said, first episode, racial diversity. Great podcast on games as well as diversity and the role it plays in gaming. As the title implies, my first episode was diversity in gaming. They echoed all my sentiments. And, you know, I wasn't going to bring this up again, but just after reading this last week, I was sitting here and I was kind of thinking about that. Because when we started this podcast, it was, um, let's see, it was me, Dane, Ernest, the prodigal son, and Gary. And we were just kind of talking like, oh, what if we made a podcast about this, you know, just about gaming in general? What would we call it? Oh, the Racial Diversity Gaming Hour. Cool. And... We, we named it that for a few reasons. One, we just kind of thought it was a funny name. Like, people would just, what, Racial Diversity Gaming Hour, what the heck is that? Like, we figured it would kind of draw people in. Um, if you're here for that, high five. Thank you for listening. Um, but also because, let's see, we are a pretty diverse cast. Let's see, we, we have me, I'm, I'm an American black dude. Um, we have Dane, who is a Canadian who lives in Korea. Ernest, I think, is Chinese. Am I right? Is he Chinese? I think I'm not going to comment. You're not uh, going to comment? What? <laughs> um, I think Ernest has heritage from China. I know he is Asian, but I think he's from China. And um, let's see, Fraser, you're from Scotland. Ben, yep. you're from the UK. Mike, you're from the UK. Oi! I'm <laughs> not independent yet. I am not independent. And then um, I, we, PSU, there's someone on PSU from Greece. Uh, he's a new guy, Dinos Zakos, I think it's, it's pronounced. I'm not sure. He's from, Pretty good. he's from Greece. He's, a, he's an awesome guy. Why do Greek people have the coolest name? I know, right? And <laughs> I am Dinos the Great. <laughs> it just sounds so epic. It doesn't matter what it is. It is. And, and so we're a pretty diverse crew, so we figured the name would fit. And most importantly, um, we wanted to emphasize that we're not just about one console. Or, or one kind of gaming. Because, again, we are all from PlayStation Universe. We write about PlayStation all day. We do PlayStation stuff all day. Um, and But we're not just about PlayStation. We're about all kinds of gaming. We wanted to emphasize diversity in gaming, not just with like race and stuff, but with different kinds of gaming. And so, really, the point of RDGH was never about 
diversity and racism and sexism and whatnot in gaming, yet we have had big, long episodes and rants about just that, which is amazing how we have somehow managed to live up to our namesake. Um, so on this 20th episode, I wanted to thank all four, uh, three of you present with me here, as well as those who are not, uh, Dane, um, Ernest, who else? Mike? Is there more? Everybody. I'll just go with everybody. Thank Glenn. And me. Oh, okay, I thank Glenn. you. Thank you. Uh, on this 20th episode, thank you very much for uh, all of your help and, and making us what we are. You know, I, I'm pretty happy with what we are. If, if we have to be about diversity and stuff as well, I, I, I'm okay with that. Are you guys? I'm good. I'm good. Always, Sweet. Always fine with that. And I find it interesting that I'm making a big hullabaloo about the 20th episode because I know in five episodes when we hit 25, I'm probably going to make another big deal about it. Um, but, but to our, every five. Every five. Every five. But it's uh, like Sony <laughs> with every million. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but to all of our listeners, thank you very much for making us what we are. Uh, thank you for listening and tuning in all the time. Definitely check us out on Twitter. Weigh in with your opinions. This isn't just our show. We want to hear what you have to say, and we want to discuss how you feel and what you want to talk about. So at T-H-E-R-D-G-H, if you have already followed us, you shouldn't have to do anything else. We didn't make a new account. We just changed the name. So uh, T-H-E-R-D-G-H. Follow us on Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes. Subscribe. We are on iTunes. If you subscribe, you can have both us and our sister podcast, PlayStation Unchained, uh, if you're a PlayStation fan. Download it to all of your iThings automatically. And um, shout out quickly to Dane, who I think wanted to be on this episode, but we'll save him for episode 25. Um, any shout outs for you guys? <laughs> what? Just, we'll skip him for the next. No, part. we'll say, no, he can be on earlier if he wants to. Um, <laughs> Gary, since you're making noises, how can people contact you? Uh, you can contact me on Twitter at Gagwalush, that's G A G L A U S H, or on my PSU email at Gary, that's G A R R I at PSU.com. How are your Twitter followers going? I have no idea. I haven't been on Twitter for like a week and a half now. You're not giving people a good reason to follow you, Gary. Uh, I'm 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 working and I'm, I have things. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll follow him anyway. When he has time, he's an awesome guy. Um, Fraser, how about you? Well, if you want to find me in the Twitter sphere, as some people like to call it, it's Fra Fraz one hundred and one three Zs. And my PSU account is Fraser.Miller at PSU.com. I also have a YouTube channel. You do have a, a, a YouTube channel. Uh, what's it called? Smash Gaming 999. Smash Gaming 999. And what do you do? Uh, well, as anyone who stumbles across it will be like, oh, just playthroughs. But there's playthroughs. There's also a first impression show that's called Smash Look. Basically, you know, I go to developers and ask them, and then they give me keys, and I get to cover their titles. That's really so that cool. Gets so you get to uh, cover their titles early, like a review? Um, I've had about two titles that allowed me to do that. I'm not big enough for that quite yet. I'm not like PlayStation Universe size. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, pretty, uh, that's still pretty awesome. That's still I do my best to provide awesome content so people can enjoy. Great. So definitely, all you YouTube fans out there, um, check out Smash Gaming 999. It sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. We'll, we'll probably have some more stuff from from you on the on the podcast too. That's that's pretty sweet. Thank you, um, Ben. How about you? 
Well, as always, you can contact me on Twitter at chili underscore UK. Uh, you can also contact me on NeoGaff at chili. You can also contact me at ben.chilabearhall at psu.com. Uh, my shout-outs go to the usual people. Chin, Crimson, uh, Shahid, thank you. We'll be having um, Chin on again on Unchained in next few, next month or so, hopefully, actually. That's so cool. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I'll make a big shout-out to Able Gamers because of your charity stream that's going to start early July. Um, um, that's it for me. Oh, But I want to just say thank you to everyone who's been listening to us for the last 20 episodes. Thank you. Thank you all for staying. You're all awesome. Amazing. And um, real quick before we leave, definitely check out Dane's book. Our, our favorite host with the most, Dane Smith, is an author. And he wrote a really good book. It is a mystery kind of thriller book. I've been reading through it bit by bit, and so far I really, really like it. And best of all, it's only a dollar. Um, head to Amazon.com if you have a Kindle, if you have a computer, which I'm sure you have. Um, if you have a smartphone, you can read it. Uh, it's called The La Sombra Files, L-A-S-O-M-B-R-A, Files. It's really good. It's only a dollar for Kindle. A print version will be coming soon. Um, but definitely check it out and follow Dane at The La Sombra Files. Excuse me, at La Sombra Files, no the. Um, with that, guys, we're done for episode 20. We will see you next. One second. One, One second. Oh. I just want to say I forgot to say something. Also, remember to believe in Gaza. Hashtag. <laughs> Believe in God's okay. Damn it, Ben. <laughs> oh, with that, with that, with that, we are finished. We will see you next week for episode twenty-one, where we provide a recap of the big three uh, press conferences for Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo. Until then, we wish you, as always, a great week. Whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. Nintendo doesn't have a press conference. Okay, <laughs> I am trying. To end this. Believe in Gaza. Okay. Don't be a racist. Don't be a racist. Goodbye. See ya.